0: Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This morning is the fourth message in a series that we're doing entitled At Long Last. Uh, At Long Last, it's St. Patrick's Day again. (laughs) We have vaccines at long last. I I just got back from... uh, from seeing grandchildren I hadn't seen in a year, just flew in from Tennessee. Trish and I are both uh, double vaccinated. and, and uh, You know, it occurred to me, there's this, these little silver linings and, that I haven't been ill in the sense of a virus or a bacterial infection since November of 2019. I was thinking about this when I got on the plane, and, uh, and I've flown a bunch of places before COVID and so forth, but had a mask, I mean, before before uh, we really locked down. And and I was thinking, I used to fly and every time I flew, I would take airborne, you know, and all that stuff. And I always would, uh, you know, two days later I'd come down with something. You had the same experience. And I thought, I might just wear a mask after COVID when I'm on a plane. In order to just to, to lose that stuff, so we have vaccines that long last. So at long last, I'm I'm believing that before the end of the year, we will hit some semblance of normalcy at long last. But one of the reasons we're pursuing this series together is to remind ourselves that although this past year has been difficult and it's been frustrating, it has not been wasted. Nothing in the kingdom of God gets wasted. And so uh, God has been working and throughout the scriptures there are these at long lasts where we begin to realize his wisdom and his grace and his power. And God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and he says, look, check this out. This is what God says through Isaiah. I am doing a new thing. But then he says this, will you not perceive it? The implication being that God can do a new thing and we can miss it, Right? at long last arise! the people of God can miss the point of the at long last. And so the most dramatic example of that, I believe, most dramatic example of that, how an entire faith system can miss an at long last is this thing called at long last Messiah. For the most part, in Judaism, at the time in the first century, been waiting for Messiah. Went into captivity, looking for Messiah. Messiah was going to come, and when Messiah came, for the most part, they remained ignorant of it. Isn't that amazing? The people of God, now look down our noses. We, we can do the same kind of thing in terms of of what God is doing. So the title of this message is "At Long Last Messiah." Because sometimes, watch this, sometimes what God is doing on the earth is hiding in plain sight. Huh? Sometimes it's just hiding in plain sight. That's been my experience. Now I want to highlight the grand differences between what Israel was expecting in a Messiah, what Israel was expecting in a Messiah, and who their Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, was. And there's a grand difference between their expectations and what God gave. What God gave, what the Father gave in sending his only begotten Son as our Messiah was so much grander than what they were anticipating. You know? Uh, so what, is, what is it that makes the people of God feel like God's an underachiever? Huh? <laughs> so, that was a joke. You guys are so serious this morning. It's spring! Lighten up! All right, so... <laughs> I want for us to watch a video together, if if you don't mind. And it's an interview by Corey Gil Schuster of an Orthodox rabbi. And I love this guy. He's got a a good attitude. But it's entitled, Why is Jesus Not the Messiah for the Jews? That's interesting, yeah? And it's not a Christian interview. I want to say up front that this rabbi, like, has a good attitude. Uh, But the interview highlights the stark Distinction between what the Jews expect, because they're still looking for Messiah, right? And what the Messiah is that God has given us. Two quick points regarding Rabbi Yitzhak's response. His appeal in his explanation, have you noticed, was to classic Jewish literature, not to the scriptures themselves, which I find fascinating. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus goes through the scriptures with the two men on the way to Emmaus, and explains to them from the scriptures themselves that he is the Messiah, and how he was patterned throughout the entire Old Testament. They said, our hearts burned within us as he spoke. That's because the Holy Spirit showed up. So his appeal and his explanations is to classic Jewish literature, and I'm not debating him. His attitude is good. I'm not taking a shot here. I mean, I kind of like the guy. like... uh, Feel my beard, how can you doubt? You know, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> but the appeal is to Jewish tradition, right? Tradition. Remember Reptavia and Fiddler on the Roof? Tradition, tradition. You know, that kind of thing. Secondly, as Philip Yancey famously once pointed out, Jesus did not spend his life as a first century Jew so that 21st century Gentiles in America could be converted, yeah? In other words, we need to pray for this guy, we need to pray for the Jewish people, and we need to pray for Israel. It's part of, it needs to be part of our prayer lives, right? Okay, that said, okay, that said, for this morning, I, I want to look at some, what I call Messiah blinders, and I ask this question, are we ourselves, as God is doing a new thing, uh, seeing through lenses that jeopardize our ability to catch what God is doing and moving us into So I have these seven, what I call Messiah blinders. I'm going to look at what the Jews were expecting. And then I want to apply that to us a little bit and say, are we looking through lenses ourselves that hinder our seeing what God is doing and going to be doing as we come out of this thing? Does that make sense? All right. First is this. They were expecting a Messiah who is the greatest of men rather than a Messiah who is God himself. The Jewish leaders were looking and are still looking for a human Messiah. They never dreamed that Messiah would be God. When Jesus said the Jewish leaders, before Abraham was, I am, was a direct assault on the notion that Messiah was a human, Jesus was essentially saying, I am Messiah and I am God as well. It was stark. It was that claim that began the road for him to become crucified. But it's easy for us to underestimate us ourselves, to underestimate the fantastic reality that when God came to be with us, our Messiah, He's God. Back in, at Christmas time, in, in the early days, they would have these plays or these Christmas skits. And, and one of the themes that you would see in the Christmas skits would be like all of heaven is assembled and the father is saying to Jesus, son, you need to go down. They've sinned and you need to go down there and you need to get crucified. You need to go down and divest yourself of, of all this heavenly glory. And you need to do all that. And, and, and heaven was sad. And, and, you know, there's this, this melancholic kind of thing. That wasn't the way it was at all. You know, when the shepherds see the angels, they're rejoicing All of heaven is going, yeah, we've been waiting for this. It's the fullness of time. You know, when Jesus came to be one of us, he ennobled us. He ennobled creation and ennobled mankind by entering the very creation that he created. So it's not like that at all. His becoming one of us is something to be celebrated, to be praised. And that's why I don't have a big taste in my mouth for a lot of melancholic worship. I know it's there and people hurt and there are people hurting. But but if I get like five songs that say, oh, make it through if I don't don't get crushed by circumstances in life and God is good. I think, really? You know, that's what I'm here to celebrate. I believe we're looking at coming out of this thing into a time where praise absolute praise has a new place in our hearts, in our minds, where we're going and what God is going to be doing. I believe we're going to see praise events in church like we haven't seen in years. Yeah? I mean, amen. I'm like all for that. The second thing that the Jews waited for and are waiting for is a Messiah, watch this, who creates an earthly political kingdom rather than a Messiah whose kingdom is of a new heaven and a new earth forever, right? Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not, not of this world. And when he went on, he went on to say that if it were that his disciples would pick up swords and have a rebellion, right? That they would assault the Roman garrison, that they would do those kinds of things. Jesus said to Pilate, It doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. We are not going to dominate, we are going to transform the earth and the world and the cosmos in the name of the Father, okay? I'm what people call personally here, I'm a kingdom now guy. All right. And whereas I maintain opinions and involvement in politics, I render to Caesar just as Jesus said, but across the New Testament, across the New Testament, with Paul, Peter, with Jesus himself, across church history, I always, especially beginning with Constantine and the emperor in the third century, who made Christianity the official. Religion of the Roman Empire from there forward whenever Christianity gets too cozy with political government faith Suffers, I'll say it again. I know this is an unpopular. I just see it all the time You know, I notice that the house church movement in China is flourishing right now in America people are Unbelievers are not so happy about the way Christianity looks. Are you there? I'm not saying that we pull back and do stuff like that. I I believe in in all of that. I'm saying, I'm not saying that we pull back from the seven mountains teaching. Remember we have the seven mountains here? With all the cultural mountains, law, education, medicine, all those kinds of things. I don't think we pull back from it. But when Bill Bright formulated the seven mountains, and it was followed through with Lance Walnow, I remember distinctly what attracted me to it is we do not do this through domination. If we try to dominate culture, we will not succeed. We need to channel Jesus. We need to model Jesus. And the excellency of Jesus will transform culture. It will transform areas of culture. I am in that people kingdom now, right? I am there, all right? But see, the problem is politics by nature. Politics by nature, I don't care whether, where we are on the earth, politics by nature seeks to dominate and coerce, right? that only get you so far, right? Okay, so the religious leaders of Israel never expected the Messiah to lay aside power and glory and humble himself. Humility, really, you know? They anticipated a Messiah who would transform Israel by dominating Israel's political enemies. They wanted to see the Romans go. They wanted to see the, the, the Herodians go. And this was so important to them. Between the last century, previous to the time that Jesus came, over 150,000 Jewish men died in armed rebellion against the powers that be. Isn't that amazing? So there was an incredible blood investment and a messiah who would be a political leader. We have a missionary from the Middle East, and I was invited into a forum, and I can't talk too much about identifying it, but it was a forum in the Middle East, the Muslim world, and there were Pakistanis on the forum, it was online, it was a Zoom, with Pakistanis, Indians, there was uh, people from Abu Dhabi, people from Saudi, all, you know, and, and they wanted me to talk about the nature of the kingdom of God, Jesus, the Messiah, who is the Messiah, and Jesus, the Messiah, who's coming again. And they were all university students, except for a few that were a little older. And it was a long teaching, and then there was Q&A, and it was like, it was so delightful! Because their countries all have problems like ours, right? But they were just thirsty to know more about Jesus, they were just thirsty. They were like soaking it up like a sponge to know how does the kingdom of God operate? Like, can we trust in what we're reading in the gospels? Can we do that stuff? Can we do the stuff he did? Can we do the stuff that Paul and Peter did? And I thought, oh, yeah, this is so great because I haven't felt that thirst for such a long time. Yeah, I'm, I'm aching for the thirst to well up in the population because The population of this nation is dry. And they're looking for something like Jesus. Comes in all humility and calls us friend, but who redeems us and saves us and moves through our lives redemptively. I just, oh yeah. So anyway... The religious leaders never expected the Messiah who Jesus was. By the way, I want to say this. I believe that Jesus is coming and that he'll reign on the earth from the new Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, but not in any manner that we see people ruling now. Are you there? It won't look like the kind of rule we see now, right? So Another messianic expectation that the Jewish leaders had and still have is a Messiah, this is a biggie, this is a real biggie, a Messiah who sees it darkness addressed by obedience to the law rather than a Messiah who confronts hell and confronts darkness head on, right? The Jews of the Jesus' time acknowledged Satan. They acknowledged the demonic. They acknowledged hell. But they reckon, much like some denominations in Christianity today, that evil would be defeated through proper behavior. Huh? But that doesn't happen. Are, are you there? See, the demonized that they saw were not victims. They were considered to put themselves in positions where they became demonized in the first place, right? Jesus, on the other hand, when he shows up, he wades right into the battle. Are you there? And so Jesus, on the other hand, saw the kingdom of heaven as a frontal assault, a frontal assault to deal with the demonic, to deal with the problem of evil, that the kingdom of God was placed to do that. Jesus said to the Pharisees, as well as to his disciples, he said, if by the spirit of God, I cast out demons, then here's the indicator. If I, by the spirit of God, cast out demons, then you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's a pretty big statement. Huh? That's a pretty big statement. That's Matthew 12, 28. Even the reason of the church itself, its mission, Jesus posited its mission to assault evil and to assault darkness. He said, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not withstand it. In other words, the issue isn't that we'll be like this and we won't get hurt by darkness. We're coming after darkness. Are you there? I believe we're moving into a season where we're coming after darkness in ways that we've not seen before. Amen. All right. So the mission of the church from the beginning in Matthew 16 to 18 is to assault darkness. And if, if we think what we've been through is, is just a natural conflict, I want to tell you, we have been battling a principality. Huh? And it's going to be defeated, right? A number of years ago, I was invited into Penn State University to do a forum on an interfaith forum. And there was me, I was the evangelical, and then there was a Jewish rabbi. There was a mainline Protestant guy, Lutheran guy. The Jewish rabbi was not an Orthodox rabbi like this, like Rabbi Yitzhak, he was a a liberal rabbi. Then there was a, a Lutheran pastor, mainline denomination. There was an imam, a Muslim imam, and there was, I'm trying, I'm trying to think, I'm missing somebody here. It was a Muslim, Jew, the leader of a Hindu temple, Vedanta kind of guy. And so the five of us were up there, and there was an assemblage of faculty and students, and it was an open forum. We had like 10 minutes to describe, you know, our basic faith system, and then it was open to any kind of questions, like for an hour and a half, from the, the students and the faculty. And so I'm boning up on all the hot-button issues like LGBTQ, abortion, pro-life. I'm boning up on all those issues. Like, should the Raiders actually go to Las Vegas? You know, stuff like that. Anyway, I'm boning up all that. You know what all the questions were about? Evil, the devil, hell, darkness. I mean, I was flabbergasted. I mean, I, I thought I am misjudging what's working in people's hearts. Yeah, like, is evil real? Is the devil real? Well, how do you know that? Are there such things as demons? What's the nature of evil? I mean, I would say 80% of the questions went down that route. And the closest I was theologically, watch this, was to the Muslim guy. Isn't that interesting? As a matter of fact, there was a Nigerian physics professor who got up. One of the people were saying, there are no such things as demons. They're kind of mythical creatures that that existed in the imaginations of the first century world. And this physics professor, Nigerian Christian, gets up and says, we don't talk about demons that way. We just cast them out. That was what he said. I thought, whoa. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Okay, another Jewish messianic expectation is this. A Messiah who reinstitutes blood sacrifice rather than a Messiah who is himself the fulfillment of all blood sacrifice. Think about that. They want a Messiah who reinstitutes blood sacrifice. That's killing cows and pigeons or or doves and all that stuff. Our rabbi in the film clip says it. He says, when Messiah comes, he will rebuild the temple. And I know a lot of evangelical Christians believe this. You know, I could be wrong, but I hope they're wrong. Whoa, you know. Well, why? Okay. Jesus said, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up again in three days. All right. It's so in John 2 19. All of this discussion about the temple, watch this, because we think temple, 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 and we as Westerners think monument, 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 monument. You know, we think of cathedral, 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 or Washington Monument. You know, we think in terms of the building, right? Jesus said, destroy this temple. He was referring to himself. So all of the discussion is not about the temple as monument. It's a functional temple are you there? In other words, it's about beginning to sacrifice animals again. That's the whole deal. If you talk to Jews in Jerusalem, that's the way it's going to go. I was in Jerusalem looking up at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and all of the Haredim, which is the Orthodox Jews, praying and singing before the Wailing Wall, and I prayed there as well. Praying for the temple to rebuild, I realized that Jesus moved the centrality of faith in Messiah Away from a building and the slaughter of animals, Jesus moved the centrality of faith and the dealing with sin, he moved it to the centrality of himself. Huh? The bloodless sacrifice. It's Jesus that's at the center. His sacrifice will be the center. The author of Hebrews, who was writing previous to the destruction of the temple, in 70 AD. He was writing this, he says in Hebrews 10, 11, and 18, if it's a he or a she, verse 11 he says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, animal after animal after animal, and then he says, which can never take away sin. Wow. He said, but when Christ had offered for all of us For all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and there's no longer any offering for sin. That's pretty big, isn't it? So I don't know, you know, maybe I don't understand history, and I don't understand the the mechanisms and the modality of the second coming, but I hope Jesus just comes Comes on the Temple Mount, and I see all Hasidic Jews and the Hasarim who celebrate God so splendidly, celebrating Jesus. Celebrating Jesus. I, I look forward to that. Here's another Jewish expectation of Messiah. This is one that you might like be a little surprised at. The only faith systems that I'm aware of that believe in a bodily, I'm talking about this stuff, a bodily resurrection are Orthodox Jews and Christians. But again, it's the centrality of Jesus that begets all of our resurrections. None of the other faith systems do that. Islam believes in a resurrection, but I believe it's a spiritual resurrection that they they embrace. None of the other faith systems outside of the Abrahamic faiths Recognize the resurrection of the body. This is tough stuff. This is the stuff. When you talk about us coming back in flesh, right? When you talk about us coming back in flesh, I mean, Paul went into the Areopagus in Athens and the philosophers said, Whoa, you know, this is a bit much. This is a pretty tough thing. Okay? I was in Nashville with some grandchildren I hadn't seen in almost a year. It was so great. Anyway, We were at the table for dinner, and one of my granddaughters said, hey, let's have a discussion. What faith system is the hardest to believe? What faith system is the craziest? And so we went around the table. But I was thinking, if you take Christianity at face value, some of the stuff we believe, it's a reach. Are you there? you got to have the Holy Ghost to get there. You know what I'm saying? you got to have the Holy Ghost to get some of the stuff we believe, right? Now, they came up with Mormonism which is even a further stretch. So we watched the Tony Awards, the, the creedal statement from the Book of Mormon and the Tony Awards it was just an absolute riot. Anyway, I really appreciated the fact that they were really exploring at the, at the dinner table. There was like five grandkids there. This whole idea of what we believe and why we believe it. So you need the Holy Ghost to get there. Okay, Jesus said to Martha, because Martha said to Jesus, look, I know there's going to be a resurrection at the last judgment, you know, But Jesus said to Martha, no, 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 no. You don't get it, Martha. It's not quite right. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. His resurrection is first fruits. That's why Easter is so important. He begets all of our resurrections. I know some of you have lost people during this pandemic. Not to the pandemic, but for other reasons. And some maybe even to the pandemic, I'm not sure. I'm telling you, if their faith is in Christ, you will see them again in the flesh. Job said it, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will see him even in my own flesh if I should pass. It's that kind of thing. Okay, along with resurrection, Orthodox Jews believe in a final judgment day. The difference is that they believe that they'll be judged on their obedience to the law, the Torah, the Torah. Here's the next Messiah blinder, a Messiah who is himself saved by obedience to the law. They were expecting a Messiah who would need to be saved by performing the law rather than a Messiah who fulfilled the law. That's like turning... The religious world upside down. Their expectation of Messiah is that Messiah himself will need to be saved from his own sin by obedience to the law. But we, on the other hand, know that our Messiah, our sacrifice, is without sin. Huh? Is without sin. Needs no savior. Our Messiah is our savior, right? But here's the blinder part for us as Christians today. Why, as a pastor, have I experienced Over 40 years, countless believers who are beset by guilt, by condemnation, crippled by their past, unable to realize personally the freedom we have in Jesus' as new creations. Why do some people have such a difficult time understanding how free they have been set through the work of Jesus and becoming new creations in Jesus Christ? Oh, gosh. Like, you know, I remember... When I was a young pastor, I would preach and one of the closest things to a mentor I had, his name was Steve Wilber, came up to me and afterwards and he said, he used to call me Groblewski, like that, you know. He said, Groblewski, he said, you need to learn about grace. That was what he said. And he wasn't kidding. He said, you need to learn about grace. He was always doing was pouring condemnation on people and I just changed, I just went after An understanding of grace. Look, I understand we have counseling ministries, deliverance ministries, all that stuff, but nothing can replace a gathering of the enormity of grace that's ours as new creation people in Jesus Christ. If you're struggling, I encourage you to go to the book of Romans and do a long reflective study and reflect and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you who you are in Christ. Because it's, it's huge. On the other hand, why do I see an endless cavalcade of shepherdless, unchurched sheep using the claim of forgiveness as an excuse to go on sinning? <laughs> I mean, crazy stuff, yeah? And so there are believers astray and abroad who are com- they're completely bereft of a spirit of the fear of the Lord. See, the other thing is one problem, but this problem is there's all these people who have no fear of God. Christians! have no fear of God. And so I believe, oh, let it be, Lord, that God is going to come and move and do something where just like a hypodermic needle, we're injected with a new fear of the Lord. And I'm not talking about dread and law and those kinds of things. I mean, we just want to not sin just to be close to him and close to who he is and be like him. You know, that's what happened at the Great Awakening and the Welsh Revival. Azusa Street, not so much. And the Charismatic Movement, not so much. But we need another revival where we fall on our knees and say, forgive me, God, I'm a sinful person. And we just get washed in the gaze of his friendship, that kind of thing. All right, and this brings me to my last Messiah Blinder and as to a Jewish expectation. The Jews of that time, and still do. You realize, especially Orthodox Judaism, is still awaiting a Messiah. There was a guy by the name of uh, Schneerson, Rabbi Reptevia Schneerson, who was from Brooklyn, who they really felt was Messiah while he was alive. It was the 1990s in Brooklyn. And I remember it well, you know. And they're still waiting for that, but they're waiting along the lines that I'm talking about here, which isn't so crazy. We'll get to that in a second. I was in Newark Airport flying out to South Africa, I think, and it was one of those long flights where you had to wait a long time to get on the plane and so forth, and there were these young Orthodox Hasidim, which are ultra-Orthodox Jews, young guys, you know, who were sitting across the way from me. So I know a little, a little Hebrew, and so I spoke to them in Hebrew, and I said, hey, how are you guys doing? They said to me, are you Jewish? I said, no, I'm not Jewish, I'm a Christian. I said, but my Messiah is a Jew, is what I said. And they looked at me, and they really began to engage me. And they gave me cards, and they were talking to me about this guy in Queens who was really the Messiah. But it was really interesting because they were trying to convert me, you know? And I thought, I don't look good in curls. Anyway, so, but I like the hats. So the last point is this. They wanted a Messiah to Israel rather than a Messiah to all nations. Now, I realize that Rabbi Yitzhak said, look, he's going to bring peace on the earth. But the way they see peace on the earth is their Messiah will bring peace to everybody who has no Messiah. Are you there? The problem is we've entered into covenant with God as Gentiles. That was unforeseen. Are you there? So the title placed above the head of Jesus as he was crucified was King of the Jews. And that's true. He is king of the Jews. And it was written in Aramaic. It was written in Latin. It was written in Greek. There's a whole teaching on that. It was placed there as a mockery. But the irony is that it's true. But watch this. It's true for Jew and it's true for Gentiles. He's Messiah. He is king. Hamashiach. Right. Christ. The Jews know Messiah will be their king upon the throne of David. And while he brings peace to the world, it never occurs to them that we get it on covenant. How cool is that though, right? So we're covenanted people as well. We're sons of Abraham, uh, Paul says. And this brings me to the conclusion of this message and I want to mention our primary text of the day. It's one of the few messages I get to the primary text at the end of the message. And I'll just, I'm just going to mention it, that's all. You see, Jew and Gentile have the same problem and they labor under the same delusion because we're human beings. And Paul says in his letter to the Galatian church, this is really interesting because you guys have the kilts on. The Galatian church was a Celtic church. They spoke a Celtic language the Irish church of the first century. Anyway, it was a Celtic church. But it's interesting because the letter to the Galatians is occasioned by Galatians who become Christians but now begin to institute the law into the church. And their claim was that you need to observe all of the ritual dictates of the law, the Torah, need to be observed. You know what Paul says to them? Uh, you know, because it's a spirit. Once again, we're in spiritual conflict. He says, he says, who has or what has bewitched you, O Galatians? In other words, he's saying, there is a witchcraft among you. You have become deluded into thinking you can save yourself. Huh? And see, because that's where law goes. So when he writes to the Galatians in Galatians 4.4, 4, Paul says this, but when the fullness of time, the fullness of time, came, God sent forth his only son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, and that we might receive adoption as sons. Huh? Wow. So there is, Paul declares, this divine moment, this this timetable in God, a moment when our universe is just... Poised to be broken into, and the Father's cosmos becomes ripe for God to act. And that's Messiah time, right? When he says the fullness of time, how is time full and for whom is it full? Yeah? How is time full and for whom is it full? In the time which is called the great silence between the writing of the book of Malachi, right, and the writing of the Gospel of Matthew, those centuries. Guess what happens? All of the Jewish law becomes codified and edited and put together into what's called the the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, our Old Testament. The Tanakh means Torah, the law, uh, Navaim, the prophets, and Katavim, which is the writings. They're all put together and we have our Old Testament. And they all become codified, edited, put together between the Babylonian captivity and the time of Jesus' coming. So all the law becomes formulated. Secondly, every major faith system, with the exception of Islam, which I really see as Abrahamic, every major faith system comes alive during that time. Greek philosophy, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, all the rest of them. Siddhartha Buddha lived during that time. Buddhism began. It was uh, the golden age of Hinduism and Vedanta. Confucius lived and taught in China. Lao Tzu lived in... Taoism began and all the major faith systems emerged during that silence where no scripture is written. And it's like God said, okay, boys and girls, let's see what you got. Huh? Let's see what you got. All right. And between the old Testament and the new, it was that all of humanity was asking the big questions. Well, what about death? What happens when I die? What about sin? What about life itself? You know, what's the meaning? All that stuff. God's saying, okay, what do you got? Watch this. And we came up with all this stuff. Yeah, we came up with law. We came up with, with all this stuff, all right? But here's my point. There are no end to religious behaviors that we as human beings can contrive to tell ourselves that we're really in control. We want to be in control. See, the needing of a savior means God is in control. Yeah, God is in control. We want to be our own saviors. But then when humanity, both Jew and Gentile, came up with its best in the fullness of time, at long last, God sent Jesus to be our friend. Yeah, at long last... Yeah, Jewish law and all the other faith systems, all of the things we can do as people, convince ourselves we can save ourselves. And we still do it, right? We still want to save ourselves. At long last, that's our series, at long last, Messiah has come. At long last, he's coming again. Yeah. And we get to participate with him in his throne because at long last, the kingdom is right now Right now, every one of us can do something today to affect the kingdom of God because his kingdom is not of this world. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do not let us to our own devices. Even when we try to do that stuff, God, we labor and we work and we struggle and some of that's good, but Lord, that we would realize the immensity of your grace. That we would realize that we can speak to demons and watch them desist. Lord, we realize that you are the God who heals us and we can affect healing. And we can never be you but we can be like you and we can make the world see who you are. We can say to sinners, friend, and watch them redeemed, Lord. We've forgotten so much of what you want to do through this whole palaver of the last two years, Lord. Revive us. Let us see again. Fill us with the fear of you and the love for you that is, is our passion, God. And we ask that together in Jesus' name. Now here's the deal. If you've been trying to save yourself, huh? if you're watching online or you're here this morning and you've just, you know, I, I led a journalist to the Lord a number of years ago Uh, It was a great guy. And, and he just came to me one day. He knew God, but he just came to me and he was beside himself. He had probably done something and I can't remember what it was, but he said, grubby. He said, how come it's so easy to mess up? Only didn't say mess. I knew what he meant. You know, (laughs) if you know what he meant, how come it's so easy? And I said, because grace is there for us. And we need to learn about grace. So if you're watching or you're here and you've never given God control, here's how you do it. You have a relationship with your Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. And we're all going to pray a prayer. And you can join this prayer as you repeat after me. minute. And, and maybe you've prayed prayers like this before, but today may be your day. Okay, so I'm going to ask us all to pray these few words. And maybe someone's going to join us whose life will be changed because of it. It's interesting that we've had a number of people contact us who watched online and said, you know, I made that commitment to Christ, which is my joy, okay? So let's pray. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong. Would you forgive me? Would you be my friend? I now turn from anything that I know is wrong. And I thank you that you died for me. You addressed every sin. Lord, I now receive the gift that's a relationship with you. Please come into my life by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I want to be with you forever and ever.